for me personally, my core identity is a disciple of Yeshua the Messiah. That was the original call. And of course, like we have so many other things that the Father calls us in His Word, and they're all true. They're all meaningful titles. But for me personally, the very core of who I am is a disciple of Yeshua. Like I've encountered Him personally. He's walked through my life like He walked down the beach and uh, summoned Simon Peter and Andrew and all the guys. And, uh, and, and He's done that for me. And I've heard His voice and I said, yes, I'm going to follow you no matter what it takes and no matter where this adventure lands me. <laughs> And that's why we're all here, because we're all in that discipleship adventure, that lifelong process of following the Master and becoming more like Him. And what do disciples do? What's the job description of a disciple? Follow the Master. master. Become like Him. Yeah, actually. hmm? There's There's a book here that I really enjoyed reading called King of the Jews. Resurrecting the Jewish Jesus. It's by D. Thomas Lancaster and published by First Fruits of Zion. But he has a chapter in there where he talks about the original Jewish uh, model of discipleship and what it was all about because it is such a vivid picture of the discipleship that we've been called to. I, I don't even know if we can understand discipleship out of its original Jewish context. And one of the things he points out is that we're not only called to imitate our rabbi, if I could call him that, Yeshua, our teacher, but another one of a jo- uh, disciple's jobs is to repeat him. You, you listen to his teachings and then you memorize them to yourself. And you, uh, you drop them in conversations whenever possible. Well, you know, my rabbi taught this about that subject. Or, you know, my rabbi said this. And, uh, of course, you know, Yeshua was called rabbi, so it's okay to call him that. It just means our teacher, right? And uh, our, our great example. And so for me, just getting to read the New Covenant Scriptures as a group every week is such a reminder of our core identity as disciples, of uh, our calling to uh, imitate Him, to learn His words, and hopefully to let them just filter down into our psyches to the point where they just become us and we just find them flowing out of our hearts. And uh, I, 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 I get really excited about that. Something else interesting about the New Covenant Scriptures, and I don't think this is an accident, is just like there are five books... In the Torah, which is the foundation of the Bible, it gives us so many uh, foundational concepts, including grace, uh, other ones like redemption and sin and uh, creation and all of these massive, massive topics that our faith is founded on. Just like there are five foundational books in the Hebrew Bible, there are five books in the New Covenant Scriptures. Gospels and Acts. And I, I don't think that was an accident. I, I, I honestly don't. I, I think there's a parallel there. It's not saying that the Gospels and Acts replace the Torah, but maybe they mirror each other. Maybe they complement each other. Or enhance. And enhance each other, yes. And there are five smooth stones that fill the <laughs> I like that. There are five smooth stones, right on. Okay, five, five. five were shot and one wiped them out. He took five, yeah. Out of the, out of the water, which is the word. Right, out of the water, which is the word, yeah. Oh, Charlotte, I love it. Keep going with that. No, I, it comes from living with dogs most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven? F- well, you're around people, so you just love them. I like that. There are Goliaths in this world. Maybe there's something about the five books of the Torah and the five books about Messiah and the early believers that have to do with our, our weaponry, eh? Yeah. Cool. Five fingers. Four fingers. That's right. Oh yeah, right on. Remember them all, yeah, I like it. 
Um, another, uh, another cool thing is like, you know, when it comes to numbers representing things in the Bible, what does five represent? Grace. Grace. Is the Torah about grace? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, we read in the Psalms about all these things, this litany of things that God has done for His people throughout history. Give thanks to Yahweh for He is good. His, his chesed in Hebrew. And we know that chesed is uh, the equivalent of the Greek, how do you say it? Charisia, which is translated as grace. Give thanks to him for his good. His grace endures forever. He brought the people out of, his, out of Egypt. Why? Because his grace endures forever. When he revealed himself to Moses, did he reveal himself as the big judge? Or did he even give a deeper revelation as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love? Yes, he did. So indeed, there is a lot of grace in the Torah. And is there a lot of grace also in the uh, narratives about our Messiah? Yes. There's a lot of grace there. Something else interesting is in uh, scriptural symbolism of numbers. Four, it represents the natural dimensions, which is interesting because we know that the three dimensions of space and the dimension of time are the physical dimensions. Four. What does five represent? Five represents the spirit. Five represents the spiritual dimension. It's like when, when, we, when, we, when we enter into the Holy Spirit and worship or studying the Word or whatever, we're like, we're walking in the fifth dimension is what we're doing. And isn't it interesting that the Torah has five books, five equals the spiritual dimension, and we read last week in Romans 7, Paul was talking about the Torah and the role that it has to play in the life of a believer, and he said, for we know that the law is something spiritual. He said it's spiritual. Interestingly enough, there are five books and five equals spiritual. So, for me, anyway, that's why I think that they just go hand in hand. Uh, you know, sometimes people think that the New Testament basically supersedes the Old Testament, does away with it, and there's really not even much point in reading the Old Testament except as some interesting background that brought us up to the New Testament. And I, I think that's unfortunate. I, I would, I would, uh, I would almost rather use the picture of the uh, the early writings in the Scriptures being like the foundation that's laid. And then let's say that the prophetic writings leading up to the Messiah are like the walls that are being built. And I have a construction background, so I, I think in these terms, maybe more than some people. And I would almost see the new covenant being like the roof that finishes the structure off, that completes it. But where would the roof be without the walls? And where would the roof and the walls be without the foundation? So, you should see how it was when there's no foundation, what happens to them. <laughs> You've seen that? Yeah. <laughs> Right, eh? Wow. So maybe we can just, I want to read a couple, a, a couple of scriptures because uh, I just mentioned that sometimes, sometimes there's this dichotomy that, you know, there's the Old Testament on the one side and the New Testament on the other and never the twain shall meet. And so we kind of have this concept that the Hebrew Bible is one covenant or one testament. But here's a couple interesting scriptures that we could read that just may blow that paradigm out of the water for us. Um, let's, let's read them together. It says, this is from Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. To whom belongs the adoption of sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the Torah, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Messiah. Well, this is interesting because Shaul, Paul here, is talking about physical Israel. He's talking about his brethren according to the flesh. 
And he says that some things, this is decades after the resurrection of the Messiah and the inauguration of the new covenant, there are a whole series of things that continue to belong to the people of Israel. And then, of course, he goes on to say that those believers from the nations are grafted into those things and become partakers of them. But it's, it's notable that Paul, his, his worldview included a whole series of covenants prior to the new covenant. And apparently they continued to belong by birthright to physical Israel. And he also mentioned the promises in there, which is nice. Because uh, that kind of uh, is included in the scripture also from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Let's read that together. You were at that time separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. But now, in Messiah Yeshua, you who were formerly far off have been brought near. How exciting! You're far off! You've been brought near! What have you been brought near to? It says right there. Messiah, firstly, thank God, but also the commonwealth of Israel and the covenants of promise. Ooh! He said covenants there. That must be some of the covenants in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. And it's interesting that he doesn't call them the covenants of law. Did you notice that? He calls them covenants of promise. And of course, the new covenant, I, I believe, is the fulfillment of those promises. So that, in a nutshell, is why I'm passionate about reading the new covenant on a weekly basis. In, in, some, in some messianic congregations, you know, you... A lot of people are kind of having this, I say this in a really good way, an Old Testament revival. Like it's really coming alive to them. They're realizing this is all about my God. Like this points to the Messiah. There's some rich stuff in here. And uh, the result sometimes is believers spend a lot of time in the first four-fifths. It's almost like they're brushing up on that. They missed out on that part of their spiritual education. And, uh, and sometimes believers will like, kind of be more focused on that for a couple of years and then they'll kind of get that balance and they'll, they'll realize how this is one big picture. And so that's why uh, I really like having that balance personally. Any thoughts or comments on that? Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.